All right, we're in the fifth part of our series in the book of Galatians. Uh, we're in the fifth week and the fifth part. So as many of you know, for the last six weeks, we have been on this journey in the book of Galatians. And every week we're going through uh, chapter by chapter and studying the word of God and seeing what we can learn from this particular letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the uh, churches in the region of Galatia. The reason why we understand, the reason why uh, the Apostle Paul had to write this letter in the first place is because the Apostle Paul would travel, he would preach the gospel and plant churches. When the Gentiles or even the Jews in certain cases would listen to the gospel that was preached, they would re receive that word by faith and they would become Christians. And so at that point, uh, in most places, there were no churches. And so these were the early churches and how the church was established in the early, uh, early years. And so he would establish churches. And so in this particular region, after he established the churches, he, came, he comes to know later, many years later, that there are another group of people that are going and preaching another gospel to those very same churches or to the believers in those same churches. And so in chapter 1, the way he writes it, he says, you're listening to another gospel, which is no gospel at all. So he says, even though you're thinking you're listening to the word of God, you're listening to a different message than that which I have preached to you, and that particular message is not the gospel. And so he takes it so seriously that he says, even if I come and preach to you a different gospel at a later time, or even if an angel from heaven comes to you and preaches to you a different gospel, let both of us be cursed. That's the degree of seriousness that, that Paul has regarding this. So in other words, it's not just enough just to say, well, I'm coming to church. That's why it's important to which church you go to, it's important what message you are listening to and what you are believing as a Christian. It's not just enough to say, well, I'm a Christian or, uh, you know, I used to go to church when I was a kid and so therefore I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. You are supposed to have a personal relationship with God. You are supposed to know God for yourself. You know, there's a person that said God doesn't have grandkids. Right. God only has kids. And so you need to have a relationship with your father. It's not, you know, you, you can't live your Christian life based on your father's faith, even though today's Father's Day uh, and we're celebrating fathers. You can't live based on your father's faith. You need to have your own faith. You need to have your relationship with God and you need to go. You need to know God for yourselves. Amen. So we've learned a bunch of things. I'm not going to spend too much time because I'm running out of time by the time I get through the end of the chapter. So if you need to get a recap of the other chapters, I would encourage you to go onto YouTube and catch up with the rest of the week. So let's jump right into verse uh, chapter 5 because I really want to uh, uh, make sure that I get through all the stuff that I want to get through uh, uh, this evening. Now, as I said before... Uh, when the Apostle Paul was writing this, he was not writing in chapter and verse. So the thought that he is writing about in chapter 5 has actually started in chapter 4. But what I want to do is we'll start reading from verse 30 of chapter 4 and then continue into chapter 5. So 
Galatians chapter 4 and verse 30. It says, but what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. Again, I want to remind you, and for those of you who are listening to this for the first time, this is not talking about physically finding, uh, uh, you know, Ishmael's descendants or Hagar's descendants and trying to have enmity with them or kicking them out. Okay, this is simply talking about the law in, a, in the life of a believer. He's saying don't try to mix law and faith or mix law and the promise in your life. Rather, he's saying remove the, the, the Hagar and her son from your life. In other words, remove the law from your life. Because he goes on to say in verse 31, he says, So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, we are children of of the free woman. Another way to say it is, we are not children of the law, but we are children of the promise. Amen? Now, if, if that's not making sense to you, it's because you missed the previous parts, and so I would encourage you to go back and listen to that, and that, that sentence or that statement will make more sense to you. Now, chapter 5 and verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again to the slavery to the law. Okay, again, I really want us to uh, uh, remember this because a lot of us have been taught throughout our, uh, from the time you went to Sunday school, from the time you learned the Ten Commandments, from the time you saw the movie, from the time you had the posters in your living rooms or in your bedrooms, you are inundated with the law. And so you, you grew up learning, I have to live by that, I have to live by that, I have to live by that. If I mess up with that, then I messed up with God. That's what we grew up with, okay? And here, it is clearly saying, you are now free from the slavery to the law. Now, I don't care how you define slavery, that's not a good thing, okay? And so he's saying, you've been redeemed, you have freedom from slavery to the law. Not just slavery of, uh, you, you don't just have freedom from sin, you don't just have freedom, freedom from the dominion of the enemy, but you have freedom from the slavery of the law. Okay, that's what Jesus came to redeem us. That's what we saw, that he purchased our freedom from the law in chapter 4. So he goes on to say, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. You see that? If you are trying to gain favor with God, if you are trying to maintain your relationship with God because of something that you have done, Again, we don't deal with circumcision today. We don't have discussions about circumcision today. That's the discussions they were having, uh, having at that time. But we have different discussions today. They're different based on the background that you have, based on the denomination that you uh, come from or the denominations that you were exposed to. They have regulations regarding the type of clothes you wear, the type of makeup or no makeup that you have, the way you do certain things in your everyday life. Right, And those regulations and rules are, uh, um, or based on those regulations and rules, people then determine, because I have done this, now I have favor with God. Because I have, you know, like I said last week, because I have visited 
Israel, now I have favor with God. Or because now I went to Jerusalem, now I have favor with God. Because I went to this conference, now I have favor with God. Because I got prayed by this particular pastor or preacher, now I have favor with God. Right? Whatever it is that you want to fill in that blank, Paul says, if you are trying to say you have favor with God because you did something of your strength, he says, guess what? Then you also should be able to say, I'm going to keep the rest of all the laws that are included in the Old Testament. And as I've said over and over again, the laws in the Old Testament are not just the Ten Commandments. It is 600 plus commandments that you are talking about in the Old Testament. Right. And so what Paul is saying is, if you have this notion of, okay, I wear white clothes when I come to church. And so this makes me more holy or this makes me more righteous or because I wear white clothes, I am closer to God. If, if that's what you're thinking, Paul would say, okay, let me start listing the 600 plus commandments and let's see how well you're keeping the rest of them. That's what that's basically what he's saying. And what he's saying is, if that's the way you are trying to reach God, he says in verse 2, he's saying, and this is very important, he says, Christ is of no benefit to you. And think about who he's writing to again. He's writing to people in the church. He's writing to people in the church and he's saying, because of the way you are living your life, Christ is of no benefit to you. Why? Because the way you are living your life, what you are saying by your actions is, you are living as if Christ never came. You're living as if Christ never died on the cross. You're living as if Christ never satisfied the payment for your sin. Are you getting that? So you're, you can be a Christian, but based on what you believe, you can live your life as if Christ is of no benefit to you. For if you're trying to, uh, um, uh, verse 4, for if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, the phrase fallen from grace, all right, you've probably heard that a couple of times in your life. The way the world usually uses that term fallen from grace is if someone falls from good standing with people around them. Like if a politician is caught in, you know, a scam or something, they'll say he's fallen from grace, right? Uh, or, or uh, you know, they, they find some fault with someone, they've sinned and it's public now, and they'll say, well, that person has fallen from grace. But the way the Bible talks about falling from grace is the exact opposite from the way the world talks about it. See, the way the world says you've fallen from grace when you commit a sin. The Bible says you've fallen from grace, not when you commit a sin, but when you rely on the works of your flesh. When you rely on the strength of your arm, when you rely on your good works, Paul is saying you're fallen from grace. Why? You're no longer depending on the free gift of grace that God has given to you. Rather than you know, falling into the grace of God and relying on the grace of God, what you're saying is, no, let me earn my way up to God. Rather than freely receiving the gift that God has for me. Are you understanding that? Now, Paul addresses three different concerns that he has for the, for the believers in, in, the, in the churches of Galatia. The first concern is this. He is, he's concerned that people are falling away from grace. All right? Falling away from grace. That's what he says in verse 4. Now, in, in other words, self-justification uh, 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 um, you know, nullifies the work of Christ in our lives. 
See, we have been justified not by our works, but we have been justified by God. What does justified mean? I, I, I like uh, the, the, the layman's definition. Uh, a simple definition of justified, a complicated word is this. Just as if you never sinned. Justified. In the eyes of God, God views you just as if you never sinned. Why? Because you are in Christ Jesus and whenever he sees you, he sees you through the blood of Christ. And when he sees you as through the blood of Christ, he looks at you and he says, he looks at you as if, not because you never sinned, but as if you never sinned. Are you understanding that? See, for example, when think about the sacrifice of, of the animals in the Old Testament. The sacrifice, the animal did not sin. The animal didn't do anything. It was the owner or some other guy who did something. And now the animal is brought. The animal is sacrificed. The blood is spilled. And now what happens? God views that guy through the blood of the animal. And what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. Not because of what the person did. But it is as if the person paid the price. Are you understanding? But the problem with, the, uh, with, the, with what was taking place in the Old Testament is it had to be done over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because the blood of bulls and animals would not satisfy, would not pay the penalty for our sins. But the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, paid it once and for all. Amen. All right, so, so now what, we, what is happening is we being justified, it has happened by the grace of God. But now when we try to earn our way to God, what is happening is we are trying to self-justify. And when you try to self-justify, you are nullifying the grace of God or the work of Christ in your life. All right, let's continue to read from verse 5. He says, but we who live in the spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness uh, God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or, uncirc or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he, has, he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing uh, uh, false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who is uh, who has been confusing you. Now, a couple of things to consider. Again, in verse 7, it says, you were running the race so well. So that's the second concern uh, that Paul has to these believers. He's saying you were, past tense, running the race so well. So his concern is that they're no longer following the truth. Right? The first concern is that they're falling away from the grace of God. The second concern that he has for them is, are you following the truth? Not were you following the truth, but are you presently in your life following the truth? And are you living by that truth in your life? That's the concern that he has for them. Because he goes on to say in... in in verse 8, it certainly isn't God who, uh, who has called you uh, into his freedom. Verse 9, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. 
what was happening is during this time when the Judaizers would come and 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 uh, uh, talk to these uh, members in the, in these different churches. One of the things, one of the tactics they 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 would use is they would go to these people and say, "Hey, by the way, do you know, uh, um, you know, uh, um, uh, you need a little bit of the law in your life, a little bit." And so what would happen is that would confuse the people, and they would start considering and saying, "You know what? Yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, but." A little bit of law doesn't hurt anybody. A little bit of law is probably good for me. You know, making sure I know the Ten Commandments and living by them, it's, that's, that's not a bad thing in my life. Right? And they started being controlled. And, and the way he compares that is this. He says, now, we might not, we're, we're probably, I mean, we eat bread, but we're not, you know, in, in Hyderabad and in India, it's not like you're uh, making bread in your home all the time. Right? But, but we make good chicken curry. Right? So, so let's say this, so I come to your home or you have a, you have a birthday party or something going on and you make a, a, a nice chicken dish and, and, and you're, you're ready and, and we pray for the food and right before the guests are about to take part in the food, you say, hey guys, uh, uh, me and my work, wife worked really hard and, and we cooked for all of you, we love you guys. And by the way, we were just not sure about how many people would come. We thought a few extra people would come. So uh, in the last minute, my wife just found uh, a chicken curry from four days ago. Uh, it's just a little spoiled when we found it, but just to make sure that everyone has enough, we mixed that chicken curry with what we made today, right? And we mixed all of it, so have a good time. Enjoy. How many of you would just say, thank you so much, and, and, and just go for it? Right? You wouldn't. Why? You say, well, you just mix it with some spoiled stuff. And if they say, well, it's just a little bit. And you say, no, even a little bit spoils the entire thing. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. It's like a little chicken curry that's, that's a couple of days old. It's stinking a little bit. But that's okay because we need to feed the crowd. No, it doesn't work that way. And so what he's saying is, now that you know the gospel, stay true to the gospel, continue to follow the gospel. Don't get swayed away by these other doctrines or what other people are saying and don't let that confuse you or move you away from following the truth. Verse 11, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I were preaching that you must be circumcised as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. See, other people were coming to him and uh, coming to the people and saying, hey, by the way, Paul changed his mind. He's no longer preaching what he used to preach before. See, today you can just make a phone call and talk to people and clear things up. Paul didn't have an iPhone. So by the time word would spread, things would begin to take place. By the time the letter goes, by the time Paul sent someone to clarify, things would begin to spread. And so one of the tactics the Judaizers would say is, hey, I know that's what you heard from Paul a couple of years ago, but he changed his mind now. He's preaching what we're preaching, so continue to believe. And so that's why Paul has to say, hey, hey, I'm, I didn't change. I didn't change what I'm preaching. If I am saying that you need to be circumcised, why are they persecuting me? The reason why they're persecuting me, the reason why I'm going through these tough times is because of what I'm preaching. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, 
I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. All right? I hope you get the picture. Verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use this freedom to satisfy your own sinful nature. Now, for those of you who are concerned about, well, if we don't have the law, aren't we going to become like crazy sinful animals? And how aren't we going to live crazy lives? And who's going to tell us what to do? Well, this is what he says. He says, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. See, so he's not saying now that you have freedom, live any way you want. That's not the point. The point is, you don't have the law that is guarding you in your life, but you use this freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Now, here's one of the things that we need to understand. Every time, in chapter 4, one of the things that we learned is that the law was our guardian. Right? When it's, he, the way Paul compares it, he says, we were like little children and we had a guardian and the guardian was the law. You know, think about it this way. Pretty much every one of you here are adults and you have jobs. So tomorrow you go to your office and you're sitting in your office. And all of a sudden there comes somebody knocking at your door or if you don't have, or, or to your cubicle and they tap you on your shoulder. You turn around, it's your second grade teacher. Right? Say, hello, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And from that point for the rest of the day, she stays with you. She gives you, she tells you when you can use the bathroom and when you can't. She tells you when you can have your food and when you can't. She tells you when you can use your phone and when you can't. She tells you when you can go home and when you can't. How many of you are going to listen to her? None of you. Does that make you a bad person? No. At some point during the day, you'll say, ma'am, I love you, I respect you, but please get out. It's my office. Right? Why? Because you're no longer in second class. If you're in second class, you're not going to say that. You're going to, you go to the bathroom when she gives you permission to go to the bathroom. You eat when she tells you to eat. No longer. Why? Simply because you're not in second class anymore. So that doesn't make the teacher bad. See, in the same way, what we're saying is we're not saying that the law is bad. We're saying the law, the law is actually perfect. The law is good. The problem with the law is the law can only point to you when you make a mistake. The law cannot change the heart or the desires of the heart from within. See, for example, if, if there's a speed limit on the, on the road, right? The speed limit can only tell you that you're speeding. It can only tell you that you've broken the law. It can't change your desire of speeding. The law is the same way. The law can point to your mistakes and say, you messed up, you messed up, you messed up. That doesn't make the law bad. But the law does not have the power to change your desire or change you from the inside out. The only thing that the law can point to you is, is what you've done wrong and along with that comes guilt and condemnation. That's why in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, now it says, Therefore there is now 
No condemnation. For who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, it says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what happens? See, for example, if there is, in India, most places don't have a speed limit. So when I am, I can go as fast as I want on that road, and I don't have any kind of guilt, like I'm breaking the law or something. Now, if I go to a different country where there is a speed limit, and now when I see the speed limit and I break it, I, I know that I've broken the law. Now, most people will not take that that seriously when it comes to speeding. But if there's other things in our lives, along with that comes guilt, condemnation, and shame. And Christ has come to redeem us from that, and we are no longer bound to that. Amen? All right. Now let's go to verse 16, and this is where it gets a little more uh, uh, interesting. Now, it says, So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't do what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that, that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are directed by the spirit you are not under the obligation to the law of moses let's continue when you follow the desires of your sinful nature the results are very clear sexual immorality impurity lustful uh, uh, pleasures idolatry sorcery hostility quarreling jealousy outbursts of anger selfish ambition dissension division envy drunkenness wild parties and other sins like these let me tell you again as i've said this before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of god but the holy spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control there is no law against these things now if you've been paying attention so far in the book of galatians in this entire series there's one verse that i just read that should stand out to you in a glaring glaring way verse 21 that's a problematic verse with everything that i've been preaching and everything that we've been learning so far in this particular in this particular series or in this particular book why because it says if uh, let's see envy drunkenness wild parties and other sins let me tell you again as I have said before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God now most of you if you grew up in a Christian family or if you grew up going to church you've already heard the scripture several times in your life not only have you heard this several times, you've heard, uh, instead of reading the whole book in context, you went right to that particular verse and you were told, make sure that you don't do these things in your life, otherwise you will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you might go to hell, right? Now, if, you, if we think that it is that, that's the message that Paul is saying, then that's no different from everything the Judaizers are saying. Why? Because again, this goes back to keeping the law, doesn't it? 
Because, because what, what did the Judaizers say? See, one of the things the Judaizers would say at this time was, if you're not circumcised, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, wait, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. What matters is your faith being expressed in love. Now all of a sudden, it looks like Paul is saying, he's listing out a set of things and he's saying, hey, if this is what you're doing, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, in order, most of us, because we used to jump right to that verse without the context of other verses, we would miss the point. And so, what I want us to do is I want us to understand what he's saying before we get to verse 16. See, what happens in verse 14 and 15 Actually, I forgot to talk about this, but the third concern that he had for the people was a lack of unity. Lack of unity, because they were going at each other, they were fighting with each other, and, and they, they were living in this form of legalism. See, have you ever noticed that if you, if you know someone that is very legalistic in their Christian life, they're very judgmental in the way other people live. They're very judgmental with the way other people live. And so here, that's what is happening. And so Paul says in verses 14 and 15, he says, stop all of that. And at, at the end, he says, beware of destroying one another. Then he's continuing, he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Guys, uh, uh, put that in the New King James for me. Uh, Galatians 5 and verse 16. In the New King James. See, it says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We see that, that, that that's the way it's written in the Bible. But do you know how most of us understand it in our mind? The way most of us understand that in our mind is this. Stop fulfilling the lust of the flesh and then you will walk in the spirit. We The way we actually frame it in our mind, the way we actually digest that verse is, stop fulfilling the lust of the flesh, then you will walk in the spirit. In other words, stop sinning, then you will become more spiritual. Get away from sin, then you will get closer to God. Get away from selfish acts, and then you can walk in the spirit. But what is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying, see, he just said, stop fighting with one another. Begin to serve one another with the freedom that God has given you. Now he goes on to say, because of all of these fightings, he's saying, now I say to you, walk in the spirit. By walking in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, which means you will stop judging one another. You will stop fighting with one another, right? Then he goes on to say, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of the, what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, most of you, if you are, if you are truly saved, you have good intentions in your heart. You want to live a life that is pleasing unto God. Now, the problem is, uh, we've uh, uh, talked about this last year when we talked about spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a physical body. The part of you that has been saved is your spirit. 100% saved. That's why even if you die tonight, your body stays here, but your spirit goes to heaven. Why? Because it's completely saved. 
Now, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your thinking, not completely renewed. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Right? So, the spirit is saved. The soul isn't saved. There is a transforming process that goes on. And that process is not done in a day or in a week. It goes on for the rest of our lives. Why is coming to church important? Because it helps us with renewing our minds. Why is reading the Bible important? It helps us with renewing our minds and our thinking according to the word of God. Okay? So our minds are not yet renewed completely and our bodies are not yet saved completely either. Now, we have been redeemed from sickness and disease, but eventually, at some point, this body is going to fail. And that's why God gives us a new body. Right? And so, our bodies and our souls, there is a future tense to our redemption as well. Okay? So, what he's saying is, in you, your spirit is desiring for good things. But there is that soulish part of you, all your habits, all your friendships, all the influence that your friends have upon you, all the influence that the movies that you watch have upon you, all the influence that the stuff that you read have upon you, the culture of this world has upon you, all of that causes you to desire other things in life. Now, he says, they're always in enmity. They're always fighting against each other. Your spirit versus your flesh. And now he says in verse uh, um, 18, But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature, the results are very clear. When you follow. Okay, so now you have an option to follow the desires of the flesh or the desires of the spirit or the intentions of the spirit. But when you follow the desires of the flesh, he says, these are, the results are very clear. And then he goes on to list all the desires. Now, it's not a comprehensive list. Okay, let's just start going through this. The first thing he says, sexual immorality. Then he says, impurity. How many of you had ever had an impure thought? How many of you are lying right now? Right? Every single one of us have had an impure thought in our life. There's nobody, including me. Some of you are probably having impure thoughts right now. Some of you are probably having impure thoughts about how long I'm going to preach. So you're always having something, right? Impurity, lustful pleasures, continue. Idolatry, again. Now, you, you might say, Pastor, no idols in my house. It's not just talking about the idols in your house. What about the idols of your heart? What about the idols of your heart? See, for some, IPL can be an idol. Games, sports can be an idol. For some, shopping can be an idol. For some, food can be an idol. For some, your car can be your idol. Your bike can be your idol. Your job can be your idol. He's talking about all of those things. What's an idol? Anything that takes your God's place in your life is an idol. 
For some, even family or your kids can become your idol. Your entire world revolves around them. It's not the way God told you to live. Okay? So in most cases, right now, sitting in church, we're dealing with idols in our lives. We're dealing with idolatry in our lives. Let's continue. He says, uh, um, sorcery. Any, anyone involved in sorcery this evening? No? All right. Okay. Let's continue. Uh, uh, hostility. Have you ever been hostile to anyone? Yes? Okay. Quarreling. Anytime. Have you quarreled with anyone? All right. Jealousy. Have you been jealous of anybody? Some, some of you, some of us, we're jealous of people we don't even know personally. Like with social media, people start commenting about people they have no idea about. Right? We, we like to comment about what a rich person, a business person, a celebrity, or someone living on the other side of the world, and you think you know better about their life than they know themselves, and so you want to start commenting about them on social media. What is that? You're just jealous. Do you know how much they spent? What do you care? It's not your money that they stole. You're jealous, right? Uh, uh, it says outbursts of anger. Had any of those? Between husband and wife? You don't have to answer this for this evening. All right, let's continue. Selfish ambition. Right? And then he goes on to say dissension, division. Have you ever caused division between other people? Or have you ever been in division with another person? Continue. Envy. Envious of anybody at any point in your life? Drunkenness. Have you ever got drunk in your life? Wild parties and other sins like these. By the way, people who think that's an exhaustive list, it is not. He's saying other sins like these. That means you don't have you only have the abridged version. You don't have the expanded version. And in the abridged version itself, all of us are already caught. So no need for the expanded version of this list. We're already caught. And if we're caught, if we think what it is saying, then, then anyone who lived this sort of life or living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means none of us have a shot. That means every one of you, including me, straight to hell. Right? So obviously that's not what Paul is saying. So let's continue to see what, what, what he's saying. So he says, these are the results of following the sinful nature. And then he, uh, verse 22, uh, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So what he is doing is he is comparing what the Judaizers have been teaching everybody up to this point and what he is trying to teach them uh, 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 from the true gospel. What the Judaizers, and I wrote this down, so let me read it the way I wrote it down. See, the Judaizers have been teaching that a lack of circumcision would exclude one from the kingdom of God. Paul, by contrast, is indicating that what really excludes people from the kingdom of God is flesh-driven uh, uh, behavior in their life. Is flesh-driven behavior in their life. In other words, what Paul is trying to say is, it's not about whether you're keeping the law or you're not keeping the law. 
He's saying what the real difference that you and I have to work through and make sure is, is the, what is the fruit in our lives that is being shown? Is the fruit more on the side of the flesh or are you able to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, 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 happening in your life? See, what he's saying is, in verse 22, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. You are not producing it. I'm not producing it. It is the Spirit that is producing it. Remember, the, the, the fruit does not work hard to be produced on the plant. You know, have you ever gone to a tree and you hear the tree groaning in pain to produce a fruit? No. It produces it naturally. So also, what he's saying is when you are truly born again, and when you are believing in the finished work of Christ, when you are following the Spirit in your life, automatically the fruit of the Spirit will be shown in your life. But if you are living in a habitual state of sin all your life, then you've got to ask yourself the question, am I really saved? Do I really trust God? Why is my, the way I live my life not bothering me? See, for example, there are people that, that, that consider themselves Christians. Why? Because they used to go to Sunday school at some point. Now, for them, they, they still think they're Christians. But to get into quarreling, to get drunk on a regular basis is no problem at all. And they don't think it's a problem. They don't think it's a problem. But they have a Christian name, so they think they're a Christian. See, I was talking to, uh, uh, this past week, we had a small group. And in the small group, one of, uh, one of the people in, in our church, uh, a great member and all of that, and he said one of the way, uh, when he was a child and growing up, even as he was growing as an adult, until he really came to uh, the knowledge of the gospel and understood what Jesus did for him, he literally thought that actually coming to church was what was saving him. Now, to the outside world, he has a Christian name. So he must be a Christian. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Let's look at the, let's look at the fruit. Let's look at what is happening in their life. See, from the time you are born again to the time you breathe your last breath, the progression that you need to be seeing from day one till the last day is more of the spirit increasing in our lives and less of the flesh. The scales have to turn. See, when you are born again, you had more of the flesh, less of the spirit. By the time you breathe your last breath on earth, you should be able to look back and say, hey, I have more of the spirit in my life now and less of the flesh in my life. You're not going to have 0% of the flesh at any point. So it's not about, oh, I, 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 I got drunk, so I'm going to hell. No, that's not the point. It's about, is there an effort from your part to walk in the Spirit. Are you making a decision in your life that you will walk in the Spirit or are you just living a religious life thinking, if I can keep certain rules and regulations, I'm good to go. 
And that's the issue that Paul is dealing with. Now, he goes on to say in verse 23, gentleness and self-control against such there is no law. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we have been living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every area of our lives and every area of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous to one another. All right. Now, verse 24 is very important. Verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Here's what I want us to understand. For those of us who are still dealing with certain habits, certain sin issues in our lives, the way to overcome sin in our lives, the way to destroy the power of sin in our lives, the way to walk free from the bondage of sin in our lives is not by trying to walk away from sin. Because if you try to walk away from sin, you might be successful for a week, successful for a month, successful for a couple of months, and you fall right back in. The way you and I do it is by understanding what it says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. Again, this is only for those who belong to Him. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature. It's, it's not nailing everything, not nailing what you desire in the Spirit, but nailing the sinful desires and nature to the cross and crucified them there. Now this is so important. That lets me know every single time, and this is why knowing your identity is so important. You know what Paul is saying? Paul just finished saying, hey, there's a part of you that wants to do evil. There's a part of you that wants, that, that has sinful nature. And there's a part of you that desires for good things, has good intentions. Now he comes to say, your sinful nature, remember that? He says, it's nailed to the cross. It's nailed to the cross. In other words, what he's saying is, whenever you get a sinful desire in your life, that's not the real you any longer. That's not the real you any longer. Your true identity in Christ is, is only looking for ways to walk in the truth of the Word of God. So every single time you have a sinful desire, a lustful desire, something that is not in agreement with the Word of God, you have to identify it as not your own. And every single time you're identified, you have to remember that it was nailed to the cross. In other words, see, for example, we've, we've learned that our sickness, our disease, our brokenness, our loneliness, all of those things where are they nailed to the cross in Jesus. And so that's why when we are sick, what do we say? By his stripes, I was healed. What are we saying? Even though your body is saying you're sick, what you're saying is, no, that's not my identity. I have a new identity in him. And you're saying my sickness was nailed to that cross. When you're feeling lonely and you think nobody wants to have time with you, nobody wants to talk with you, in that moment what you have to understand is, no, my loneliness was nailed to the cross. 
And Jesus said, he will never leave me nor forsake me. So I have him in my life. The Holy Spirit is with me. So I don't have to be lonely anymore. In the same way. Too long we've neglected when it comes to the nature of sin in our life. What Paul is saying is, just like you would do it with sickness, just like you would do with loneliness, just like you would do with brokenness in your life, every single time you're pressurized to fall into sin, you have to understand and realize and open up your mouth and say, no, that part of me is nailed to the cross. That's not who I am. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God. And that's why he says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not, please get this, it is not walk away from the flesh and you will walk in the spirit. Because that's, that's how most of us have learned. And I'm not trying to say anything bad regarding other preachers, but I mean, I've, I've heard this all my life, you know, growing up in youth camps and other things. Stay away from movies, stay away from the filth of the world and then God will speak to you. Then you will get closer to God. It's just the opposite. He's saying, no, no, no. Walk in the spirit. When you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? Walking in the spirit is nothing more than walking in agreement with the word of God. Walking in the spirit is not speaking in tongues and rolling on the floor and doing any of these acrobatic skills. Walking in the spirit is simply walking in line with the word of God. Now, so what does it look like with, with, with the nature of sin? The Bible says that you are born again, you have a new nature, that, that all things have passed away, all things have become new, you are the, a new creation and you are the righteousness of God. So, every single time you are uh, tempted to do something that you know is wrong in your heart, you've got to declare, I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. When you do something and when you find yourself in the pit, you've already committed the sin, in that moment, you've got to declare, I am the righteousness of God. See, again, that's why we, we, when we sing the song, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Why? Because of what the Lord has done for us. Why? That's not, it's not saying, come on, everybody, let's lie. Poor people, just lie and say you're rich. Sick people, just lie and say you're healed. No, no, no. It says, let the poor say, I am uh, sorry, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Why? Because of what the Lord has done. So now, even when you fall in sin, let you in that sinful moment declare out of your mouth, I am the righteousness of God. Not because what you did was so good. No, you did a wrong thing. It was a sinful act. It probably will hurt your life in the days to come. It will probably hurt other people in your life. But in that moment, you open your mouth and say, I am the righteousness of God. Why? You're in agreement with the word of God. You are walking in the spirit when you do. And in the days to come, that's going to help you out. But if you don't say you're the righteousness, you say, I'm such a horrible sinner. I can never change in my life. This is what I do all the time. And you beat yourself down. Guess what? Next week, you're going to fall into the same temptation again. 
Third week, again. Fourth week, again. You're never going to come out of it. That's why every single time, think about the way Jesus ministered to people. He never accused them. That's why when the, when the woman was caught in adultery, everyone was ready to stone her. They had stones in their hand. And she's on the ground and Jesus is standing there. And they think they have Jesus in this, in, 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 a, in, a, in, in you know, up against the wall. You know, Moses' law says this, what do you say? Jesus walks in wisdom. And then at the end of the day, everyone had to leave, drop their stones and walk away. Here's the point. The only person that could accuse her, the only person that could condemn her was standing right there. It was Jesus. The people that could not condemn her wanted to condemn her. The one person that could condemn her did not condemn her. What did he say? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. You think that changed her life? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not sure if I said about the Zacchaeus last week. Jesus knew what he did. Zacchaeus knew what he did. But you never see Jesus accusing him of what he did. But after Jesus is done talking to him, Zacchaeus gets out of that dinner party and he says, every single person that I've taken money from, I'm going to return. Not only am I going to return, I'm going to multiply and return back to them. See, when we understand the love of God, the position that we have in him, and what he's done for us, we begin to walk in line with the Spirit, when we walk in line with the Spirit, the works of the flesh keep going down in our life. So I, I'll close with this. I heard of a testimony of a, a young man who was, who was addicted to smoking cigarettes. And he went to this particular pastor and he says, I'm trying to get rid of this habit, I'm not able to. Pastor says, uh, "Are you born again? Are you, are, you know, do you believe in Jesus?" He says, "Yes, I've, you know, I've, I've been coming to church." And he says, "Do you know that means that you're the righteousness of God?" And he didn't know what that meant. But he says, I, I, "I don't know." And so he sits him down and he explains to him what that means. And he says, "I'll pray for you, but once you leave this place, every time you want to smoke a cigarette, I want you to declare out of your mouth that you're the righteousness of God." And so he goes on, he says, okay, I'll do that. He says, make sure that you do that, don't forget it. He says, all right, he walks away. And the first time he wants to smoke, he takes the cigarette out, he's ready to smoke, lights it up, and then he remembers, hey, okay, this is what pastor said, so I guess I'm gonna say it, so I'm the righteousness of God. He smokes, finishes it, continues, takes the other one, I'm the righteousness of God, lights it up, smokes it again, gets through it. And I don't remember the details of the testimony as far as how many days this went on for. But every single time he would smoke, he would declare that he was the righteousness of God. And then there came a day in his life where one day wakes up, looks for the pack of cigarette in his room, picks it up, lights it up, and is ready to smoke. And then again he says, I am the righteousness of God. And this time, rather than taking another puff, he throws it down, steps on it, and that was the end of that. And he never went back to smoking again. Why? 
because it wasn't that he was trying to get closer to God by putting the cigarettes away first. He understood his identity in God first. And the more he began to realize that, the more he began to confess that out of his mouth. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Guess what? More than you believe me, you believe yourself. You're the best preacher for your life. You're the best preacher for your life. And that's why it's important what the, the words that come out of your mouth. So what are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about what God has done for you? If you continue to walk in the Spirit and declare the things that God has said about you, then you walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace upon our lives. We thank you for all that you've done. We declare this evening that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful for the freedom that you've given us. And Lord, we just declare that we will use this freedom to serve one another in love so that it might bring glory and honor to you. We give you the praise, we give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.